Hello, today is July the 16th. I am Mike Dominic. This is the Mike Dominic Show. If you thought it was something else, you are sadly mistaken. Today, I have an interesting conversation with a local entrepreneur in the, down here in the Tampa area, uh, Joe from eNotary Log. Very interesting company. So they have taken a very, in my personal experience, pain in the butt task of getting documents notarized and made that easier on online. Uh, we also talk about some of the growth that the Tampa tech scene has seen. And to my surprise, I did not know this going in, but our shared love of Linux and System76 gets brought up. So yeah, it turns out uh, they're a System76 Linux shop over there. So it's good. We could, we're starting a lug down here in Tampa, wink, wink, hopefully. If you need any Python or Ruby development done or any other webby kind of stuff, reach out to the Madbotter Inc. That is my dev shop that does sponsor this show. Also, if you have any legacy software that needs some automation, check out a Rabot product. It is a productized piece of, I won't call it AI because I think that's overused, but let's just say automation software that can hook into custom systems via API and understand a bunch of different data types, including Microsoft Access, which I'm looking at you, legacy companies with lots of access that's slowing you down. Reach out to us at sales at themodbotter.com. As always, you can find me at Dumanuku on Twitter, and I'm not going to take up much of your time. Here's the show. Hello. So today we have with us Joe Bissalen, who is uh, apparently notarizing everything he can find here in uh, the Tampa Bay area. Joe, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on today. Great. No, thanks for coming. So I have heard about your business quite a bit on LinkedIn and uh, just in subsequently talking to you over the last almost year. What is eNotary Log? Just at a super high level. Yeah. So eNotary Log, we are a remote online notarization service provider. So we build you know, ground up software for remote online notarizations, which is probably a term not a lot of people have heard of before because it didn't really exist more than five years ago. You know, to give an idea, state by state laws have been changing to allow people to get documents uh, notarized digitally and online. So you don't actually have to meet physically with a notary in person. And as those states, the state laws have kind of been changing across the entirety of the US, you know, more and more remote online service providers like ourselves have been launching software uh, in conjunction with state laws. Okay, so very basic. Very I'm basic. <laughs> That's the tech in me going deep. Okay, so very basic. When you go to the bank or, or you know, where you would normally go post office, a bank to get those documents notarized, whether it's for your kid's permission slip or, you know, a house purchase, you can bring those documents to us online now. You scan it in, come to our website, and we'll actually connect you with a live notary. And you do all of your signatures that you would normally do on paper in a, a PDF viewer on the web. And we see it, we digitally seal it, and we deliver it to you signed and a completely legal notarization for you to go submit to whatever entity needs that document. Got it. Okay. So this completely eliminates the need to like make an appointment with the lady at the bank because you're, I don't know, buying a house, right? And you exactly. Need or yeah. And you know, in this scenario, right, nobody wants to, you know, risk uh, getting sick during a pandemic. So in this scenario, you don't need to go meet with your notary in person, you can just come to us and we'll do it completely online. And the rules you mentioned, uh, state by state variants. So this is obviously a regulated market, right? Yes, this is a highly regulated market and it's uh, regulated both by industry organizations as well as by state law and federal law. Okay. And do you operate in all 50 or I know you operate in Florida, obviously. Um, I believe at the moment we're in 21 states. You know, don't hold me to that. Where, you know, state laws are changing so quickly. I think we just got approved in another one yesterday. So, Congrats. 
Yeah, th thank you, thank you. Yeah, so every state has a little bit of a variance in the laws and those go all the way down to how we identify you as a consumer through the data that we can store about you. So when we become compliant in a state, it is a very important milestone because that means we're compliant with that state's law, which not in all cases is not simple. <laughs> now, does that vary the user experience? For instance, if I'm in the state of Florida and you know, then I need something notarized in New for New Jersey. Is that is that reflected in the software? It can. It can vary the user experience a little bit, but I would say that the variance is more so on the side of the notary. The notary who is using our platform, depending on the state they're in, their mayor, you know, their seals may interact differently and what they can and can't do for a, a good example is here in Florida, um, we put protections in the law for what we would consider vulnerable adults. So we're actually required to display to you a written message so that you can confirm that you want to proceed with the transaction if you are under the, the criteria to be a vulnerable adult. That means your platform has to have built that in to be Florida compliant for our vulnerable adult scenarios. Uh, so that would be just one of the unique things that a notary would have access to if they were in Florida, but not in other states. Got it. So how the hell did you think of this? This is, uh, you know, when I heard of the idea, I was like, online notary? But then I thought about it. And of course, COVID happened. I was like, holy crap, this is going to be the future of getting documents notarized. Yeah. And I promised COVID had no reason for us, to, you know, starting <laughs> course, this company. But so basically a few years ago, and I'll try and give you the Cliff Notes version, but it's a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I was living in DC doing contracting. Uh, I worked for a lot of government organizations as well as a few nonprofits out there. I was sitting outside in my back patio and I got a call from a friend out here in Florida that I've known since uh, freshman year of high school with a little bit of information that I didn't want to hear, which is basically he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, um, and it kind of flipped my entire world upside down. You know, I dropped everything and we, I moved back from DC to Tampa with my fiance to take care of him and, you know, just spend time with him. You know, I, we were going to fight it as hard as we could, but, you know, I, no chances, right? Time is limited. Um, right. My job meant less to me than my friendship with uh, my friend Kevin. So I, I ended up moving down to Tampa and we ended up coming up with a, a bucket list of stuff to do. And I called one of my other friends who is our CEO, James Mitchell here at eNotary Log. I've known him since middle school. He graduated from SMU Law. So an integral part of our, <laughs> our team over here, which is you know legal, seeing as we have to be compliant with all these sure. states. And I called him up and I said, hey, we're going to make a bucket list for Kevin. You know, how is this going to work? And I need a little bit of help. And, and he, you know, he contributed and we ended up traveling the world with my friend Kevin and really making the most out of the, the two years that he ended up having left. You know, unfortunately, you know, we would have loved for him to beat it, but we didn't take any chances with making sure that he would have lived out the last two years of his life uh, to the fullest. So, you know, we, we made a bucket list, moved him into a new place, got him a new car, traveled around the world with him, you know, checked off everything we could. But as the time, you know, came a little bit closer and, and he was doing in and out of the hospital more. I called James, our CEO, and I said, I can't handle this alone. I need you to come help me. And I'm not kidding. I called him on a Thursday and his question was not, you know, no, I can't come because of this or, or what is the logistics? His question to me was actually, is it okay if I have until Monday? <laughs> wow. And so I'm not even kidding that on Sunday, I flew into Dallas where he was living at the time uh, and he owned a townhouse. And we packed up everything we could into a U-Haul truck, his dog, his some whatever furniture we can fit. And we moved down to Tampa and he hasn't been back since. And so he came down and he helped me for the last six months of uh, Kevin's end of life with his care. And uh, I mean, it was just a huge help. But, you know, the last few weeks of, of Kevin being in the hospital, we had to transfer some assets out of his name. 
and we needed a notary. It was late. You know, you never know how quickly somebody's going to turn and be unresponsive and especially during the end of life like this and it was just it was a very anxiety driven scenario where there was no notary in the hospital no mobile notaries were available to come out to us you know all the nurses that were notaries weren't there it was just security guards and we just we we needed this document done and there was nobody available for us and if we could have just done it online you know we we really could have you know, eased a little bit of anxiety and and made sure that this transaction, which was important because we were transferring some assets that had sentimental value. And we wanted to make sure that that we we got it in time. And so that that spurred the idea. So after our friend Kevin kind of passed away, James and I were both back in Tampa. I moved back from DC. He moved back from Texas. We came up with the idea of starting an online notarization company. So the first thing we did is we made sure that we designed it so that we were HIPAA compliant. So we were the first ones to launch with all of our notaries in-house in a facility here in Tampa to make sure that we could offer HIPAA compliance to customers that, you know, were in the same situation as us, you know, healthcare documents in a situation where, you know, they needed to make sure it was a HIPAA right. compliant platform and that they had access completely online. So that's how we launched the company. And, and uh, I think some people in the industry probably wouldn't have targeted the healthcare vertical to start like we did because you know it's so much more prevalent in real estate and some financial institutions and stuff like that but we had a very personal reason for making sure that we could facilitate the healthcare systems transactions yeah that that all makes a ton of sense and that's a great story so one thing that struck me was you have all the notaries in a facility in Tampa you said yeah, we did. <laughs> Minus yeah. until COVID hit. Obviously but, uh, not right now. Yeah. Yeah, but we did. So how are you finding Tampa as kind of a tech city has gone for you guys with this obviously new venture? I know it's going well, but overall the ecosystem, because you said you had been in Texas and a few other yeah. places. Yeah, I would say, I mean, Tampa is, you know, leaps and bounds, you know, from when I was here even seven or eight years ago. You know, I was born and raised here in Tampa. You know, I went to Hillsborough High School. I ended up going to University of South Florida for my undergrad degree. Ah, the Bulls. Uh, Go Bulls. That's right. You know, born and raised here. So I know Tampa very well. And I can tell you when I was in college, there was not a very big tech ecosystem. I mean, I remember going to the the Microsoft office yep. out here in Tampa to give little presentations. I remember trying to get access to resources and it being extremely difficult. A few buddies and I actually, when we were at USF, we created the Inventors Club strictly because we didn't have access to the resources we needed to to build you know, just to do things, you know. Uh, So we ended up building almost like a cooperative and I rented out a space near uh, I-75, a little uh, 40 foot long storage unit that you use power tools in. And, you know, we started to get into, you know, Arduinos and we built an electricity metering system and all this fun stuff just, you know, because we didn't have access to it. And then I went back to USF, you know, when when I came back for Kevin with a few buddies who were in the College of Engineering, and they have a whole makerspace there now. I mean, it's, you know, leaps and bounds. I mean, and the resources that we have now, I think Tech Garage is now the Tampa Bay Innovation Center. They've been a huge help to us. You have Tampa Bay Wave now that's a huge help. You have uh, Embark Collective, which we're also members of, is a huge help. I mean, all of these organizations that have kind of sprung up over the last, you know, five to 10 years, they're really starting to take root in the ecosystem. And you can see it with Suncoast Developers Guild, you know, producing some good talent. You see more developers moving to Tampa. You know, a few of the developers we have here at eNotary Log, 
they took jobs with us rem- remotely to start with the intention that they're actually going to be moving to Tampa, not because we're forcing them to, but because they want to live in Tampa. So I think the ecosystem is building, you know, uh, with Water Street and all of those incredible things happening in downtown Tampa. We're just going to see, you know, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for us to end up being the Silicon Valley of the, the East Coast. It would be something that I think we're driving for and something that I, I think is a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's been much the same experience for me. It, I was, uh, I've been here three or four years, and I was just surprised. At, even though I would say in the last two years, how many new groups have started? You know, specific technology groups, things like that. And uh, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I can't wait. We are all done locking down that we can, you know, go to one of the beer and code events. Yeah, exactly. And you know, right. we have some companies here, like you have Know Before, you have ConnectWise. You know, these are startups that are growing and becoming unicorns. You know, real companies that startups can look yeah. up to. And when they exit, they produce you know, the economics for their members who help them build those companies to go start their own companies. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a long cycle for us to turn into the tech hub that we want to become, but we're on the right path. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting ecosystem. Also a good number of bootstrapped companies, right, that are kind of smaller, but, you know, there's just a lot of them. An incredible amount of bootstrapped startups. I think that's where we're finally starting to catch up a little bit with just funding startups because that's a very difficult path to go down. You know, how do I get funding? Where am I at? You know, East Coast investors are very different from West Coast investors. The word highly conservative comes to mind, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think that's changing. You know, we have some awesome VC firms out here that that are starting to to be more forward thinking, to change the way they invest, change the way they approach early stage investing. And it's it's been pretty awesome to see it see it happen. But yeah, we have, I mean, I'm buddies with uh, Johnny Crowder from Cope Notes. They're a bootstrap startup. And I mean, they're doing incredible out here. And a lot of it has to do with the ecosystem of support that's there to help them, especially when, you know, they're, they're bootstrapping a lot of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you, you're a JavaScript guy. Can you tell a little bit about the technology you built this on? Yeah, yeah. So we're a JavaScript shop over here at eNotary Log. We have, we built on a framework called Next.js. You know, we did that server side rendering of pages is, you know, obviously a huge deal on the web nowadays for, you know, SEO. So we, we built our, our platform, Next.js, node backend, microservice architecture. We dockerize everything. It goes on Kubernetes clusters when it deploys infrastructure as code, configuration as code, you know, but everything we do from the application side is, is all JavaScript front to back. Right, so it's pure full stack JavaScript. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very rare, I think, for people to find. But luckily, the team that we've built out here, we have a lot of experience with full stack JavaScript. Some of us, you know, have worked together in the past on, on large, scalable full stack JavaScript systems. So, you know, we know the pitfalls and, and, and we know the benefits. So we try and tow that line as close as we can. Now, do you find that that makes hiring a bit easier for you? Or do you still have a separate process for front end and back end? I would say that you know, we do a mix, right? We hire a mix of full stack developers, but we also look for some expertise that lean one over the other. I think, you know, from my perspective, uh, a UX developer who focuses on UX tend to be a little bit faster on the front end if they're just focused on the front end. So you're always going to want to have one of those if you can afford to have one on the team, because I think a lot of developers just don't like to do front end work and it does move a little bit slower. So if you get somebody who's good at it, who's passionate about it, it'll really come across in your product. So we make sure we have a few specialized roles for front and back end. And then we try and get some overall full stack developers that can move fluidly between the front and the back. That makes a ton of sense. So 
how are things going? I mean, it's a simple. <laughs> Great. I mean, COVID was a um, was an accelerator for sure. So you know, we had six months worth of development that our development team strapped, they buckled in and got it done in two months. It was incredible. But with that, you know, we had to trim out features, you know, for the MVP version because clients just needed it. I mean, COVID flipped the table for us. We, the way that that we pictured this market when we first entered into it was it was a longer transition because it it takes this industry, especially a long time to adopt a digital process. So it's been good. I mean, we've run fast. The team has, you know, pulled off everything that we've asked them to. And we've, we've made sure that we're moving in a way where it's sustainable, right? Because I think that that's lost a lot of the, the times in the startup world where yes. you're running so quickly, you're running so quickly, but you don't stop to think, can I run like this forever? And so we made sure that when COVID hit and we knew we had to run quick, we had we had a, a stop, a stopping point, you know, an end where the devs could take a step back and refresh. And you know, when you're running that quickly, you miss things and your code is not as, you know, scalable. So we made sure that at the end of it, you know, we have a hardening phase of a few weeks so that everybody can go and tie up all their loose ends, refactor code uh, for scalability. And that gets lost a lot in, in the startup world. So it, it's been good. Uh, it's been a learning experience for the team on, on what it means to run fast, especially in the startup world. But we've managed to do it in a way that I, I believe is scalable and sustainable for the team. Awesome. Yeah, I have been on many a death march and that is your approach is much better. No one likes the conversation where you got to sit down and say, hey, everybody, for the next four weeks, we're war rooming. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no one wants to hear that. Yeah, but at least if you can say we have to war room for the next four weeks to achieve the company's goals and being able to get our product out to market. But after four weeks, I can give you a few days to rest. You know, that's a much more palatable conversation. That is a much easier conversation. Yeah. So to wrap up, I always ask two questions. One is easy. One is hard. Which one do you want first? Oh, man, give me the hard one and then give me enough time to think about it. (laughs) Sure. All right. What should I have asked you that I either didn't know or failed to ask you? Ooh, okay. That's a great one. You know, I think that one of the things I like to ask people is, you know, what fundamental knowledge would you have loved every developer that you hired to have known (laughs) and not to have had to teach them? (laughs) I love that. Okay. So, Joe. So, for me, that is uh, design patterns. I think that, you know, um, some of the curriculums across the US and computer science and even computer engineering and information systems, they, they glance over or they move through design patterns very quickly. You know, I think the just even if it's just the gang of four design patterns, just having that fundamental knowledge set is very yes, important to enter into the corporate world because it allows you to talk almost it, it allows you to talk the same language as other more senior developers. Even if you're a junior, even if you don't know what they're saying, they can just throw a factory pattern at you and you know what it is or you can look it up. And what we've seen is a lot of developers lack that fundamental design pattern knowledge, which isn't a lot to teach them. It's just, you know, that fundamental knowledge. They've never been told that they should have it. No, that's so true. I mean, one of my uh, stock interview questions I use at the Mad Botter is, can you tell me what a singleton is? Ah, (laughs) right. Okay. And then tell me about the delegate pattern and how might those two things be connected? Yeah. And see, and see, and sometimes it's not like they wouldn't know the answer to those questions given ample time. It's that they literally don't know the names, right? The name, right. Yeah. No, that's definitely a challenge, right? Because I... This is a tangent, but I find that oftentimes like coding interviews are really just stress tests. 
you're not ascertaining, but it's that's a whole another ball game for a different day. Yeah, we um over here we like to give code quizzes, and I know this is it's a little bit of a you know some people like it, some people hate it, right? Because I'm asking you to go home and write a small little project for a few hours and then give it to me. But that's a better evaluation of skill set than me sitting down and you sweating in front of a whiteboard. You know, me giving you an abstract task like, okay, build me a hello world app you know, has a, a little data set and does this. I don't care what front end framework you, you use and I don't care what back end you use. Just build me something and, and build it quick in two hours. Yeah. Simple, something that any yeah. junior level developer, even that comes out of a bootcamp can knock out. And the way you design that, the way you code it and the languages and patterns you choose are a better indicator to me on what your skill set is. So we do the same thing at the Madbotter, except I specify the technology because we're always hiring specifically for like Ruby or Python. Right. Those are the two primary texts. But yeah, it's the exact same thing. It's just something silly, right? I think at one point we did like Magic the Gathering card databases or something, right? Like, yeah. 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 yeah so something fun. You know, yeah. it's, it's more fun than sitting on a WebEx meeting, whiteboarding design patterns. Yeah. Whiteboarding is just not, not what anybody wants to do. All right. So the easy question What does your day to day setup look like, you know, including OS and any essential development tools? Awesome. Yeah. So I won't speak for myself since I sit a lot on the business side now because I have a director of software development and a project manager that that do a lot of the management of the devs and I'm involved in a lot of the planning. But the more fun description would actually be from a dev side. So let me let me tell you what it would be like if you were a dev over here. We give you a System76 machine. Uh, yeah, you like you that, know, model, right? I, I do like that. I do like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So all of our devs get System76 machines. We give them 32 gigs of RAM. We give them a dedicated graphics card. I give them two NVMe drives. They get them sit stand desks. They get mechanical keyboards and a Bluetooth, you know, multifunctional wireless mouse. So I give them everything they need to be comfortable. You know, I think coming from the dev world, you know that an extra monitor will make you even 10% more productive. You know, if you just go by just the sheer amount of, you know, manpower it takes to do development, why am I going to block you from getting stuff done by giving you subpar hardware? So our devs, they, they all have the, the best hardware we can kind of afford to get them, you know, so that they're comfortable when they're coding uh, in an environment that they enjoy. They all run Pop! OS now. Um, okay. You know, the, the fun stuff. And so all over, since we're a full stack JavaScript shop, you know, they're, they're booting up. We, we let them choose their IDE. I'm of the mindset that, you know, whatever you're, you're best at in terms of IDE. So a few of us, actually one of us, me use WebStorm and people yell at me for it and everyone else uses VS Code. <laughs> I, I use WebStorm too. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. Now, yep. I, I feel a little better now. My devs make fun of me because they're like, oh, you're too old school. But uh, I love yeah. WebStorm and, and they, they love VS Code. But, you know, Obviously, we let anybody use what they're fastest at. You know, we do have the only stopper I say there is if you're going to be coding entirely in Vim, you better be really, really good at it. Right. No client side errors because you misspelled, you know, document.ready or something crazy like that. Exactly. And, you know, to be fair, I've met a few devs that I would let them code in Vim all day, every day because they just know it that well. But it's very rare to find that dev. It is rare. I uh, I tried my hand at it once and my just, you know, I went to Catholic school and my knuckles are still bloody from my lack of spelling skill. <laughs> so Vim is, I, I, I need JetBrains to correct me what I'm Yeah, yeah. I need a course. heavier IDE, yeah. you know, to tell me what I'm doing wrong because I miss a lot of stuff. <laughs> so, so quick real-time follow-up. System76, it's, uh, are you guys like full stack Linux for everybody? 
We are. I think so. We, you know, we, we do a little mobile development, so we have to have uh, an OS ma- or a Mac machine yeah. for some yeah. of the iPhone stuff. But other than that, yeah, all of our devs are, are fully Linux developers. Sounds like we need to set up a lug. What I did do for them, though, is uh, I gave them two NVMe drives on the machine. So they have the option of kind of booting into another OS if they have a preference or if they want to have, let's say, a Windows machine because they're doing a lot of business functions sure. um, or need an application there. So I give them the ability to boot entirely into a different OS without interrupting, you know, no partitioning a single hard drive. You get two separate hard drives. Ugh, yeah, no, don't, don't partition. Well, that's really cool. So, Joe, thank you for coming on. Where would you like to direct people? Yeah. So if you're looking to get a document notarized, online go ahead and visit us at enotarylog.com awesome and uh, all of that will be in the show notes and uh thanks for coming on i'll see you sounds like in 2022 yeah we'll see you when covid's over (laughs) all right we'll have a little luck it'll be fun yep exactly all right well i appreciate you having me on today thanks for coming